Hello, hello. Good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Before I forget, um, Simon Holly texted me this morning. Um, he just wants me to convey his apologies. He can't be here this morning. He's had a long-standing commitment to speak at the church in St. Neots. So that's where he is this morning, but Caroline's here um, this morning to represent them. So yeah, um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul, but also affectionately known as PJ. I've been around the church donkey's years, and uh, it's my privilege really to share with you this morning. And, uh, and I hope you've had a good week. Um, we've had a, a great week in the, the Johnson household. Um, we even had uh, one moment of sort of spontaneous jubilation, uh, I would describe it as, where uh, we had the children cheering and shouting and hugging one another and high-fiving. And you might be wondering, you know, what was the source of this? Did we suddenly be given a free holiday or was it somebody's birthday or something like that? No, no, not a bit of it. It was because that morning I'd received an email from our internet provider to say that they were going to double the speed of our broadband <laughs> from 50 to 100 megabytes per second. So, I mean, if, that does, if that's not cause for celebration, I don't know what is. Uh, particularly with the online gamers in my household, because they were like, yay, I can kill people on Fortnite so much more easily than I used to be able to. So, and of course, we're, we're familiar with that idea, aren't we? That faster is better. We live in a society where we want everything instantly. Uh, my teenagers live on these, I've got a photo of these, chicken noodles. They, they don't eat them because they taste good. Um, they don't eat them because they're nutritious. In fact, I believe that the packaging contains more vitamins than the contents. <laughs> but they eat them because they're instant. Um, so we have instant noodles. Our movies are streamed to us instantly. Our clothes are delivered by the lovely ASOS next day. Uh, other delivery systems are available. Um, and our pizzas arrive in 30 minutes or less or your money back. And so we're familiar with this idea that we're a quick fix instant society and we want everything now. Uh, but I want to suggest to you that maybe things are beginning to shift a bit in the world around us. And particularly when we start to think about the environment, we're starting to think longer term, aren't we? Which is a good thing. We're starting to recognize that our actions as individuals and as a society have consequences. And that if we're not careful, we're going to pay a heavy price for the convenience that we currently enjoy. So this week, the government announced a ban on petrol and diesel car sales by 2035. We're starting to realize how much waste there is in the packaging for our food. And we've got to drive towards cleaner energy. So we're starting to think Longer term, things are shifting. Our worldview is changing. We're getting used to the idea that we're not just consumers of resources, but that we're also stewards of resources as well, which is great because that actually fits more accurately with the Bible's view of us. That's part of the creation mandate to Adam and Eve. And it also fits with the biblical principle of sowing and reaping, something that's mentioned over 60 times in the Bible, and it applies to all areas of life, that what you sow, you will also in turn reap. So it applies to the environment, what we sow into the environment, we'll reap, but also to our health. You know, if you do live on 30-minute pizza and chicken noodles, you will ultimately pay a, a price for that. Um, it applies to our relationships. If you sow kindness and love into your relationships, guess what you're going to reap? Kindness and love. But what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is it also applies to the spiritual world, that we are meant as, to live as people who have an influence over the spiritual world around us. So this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the subject of spiritual legacy. 
Yes, we're going to talk about money and the gift day and everything, but it's so much broader than that. I want us to think in wider terms and get our worldview onto a biblical setting. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look at a wonderful little passage um, that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's based in Ephesus and has got the job of running a really large church there. And the Apostle Paul sends this great letter uh, to him that's full of loads of pastoral wisdom. But at the end, it's got loads of instructions, helpful instructions about the way that we should approach money and leaving a spiritual legacy. So we're going to read it through together. We're going to read from verse 17. If you have got the Bible on your mobile phone or something like that, it might be worth having it open so you can have the text in front of you as we go through this morning. But I've got it up on the screen as well. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, just a short little passage for us. It says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What a wonderful, pithy little passage there. You see, when it comes to the subject of money, Christians get themselves into all kind of a tiz. They end up falling into different extremes if they're not careful. Um, On one extreme, when it comes to the subject of finance and money, you've got those people who would really want to promote that God wants you to be stinking rich. And they would promote getting loads of money and having loads of money. And they would, they would associate money with God's blessing and faith. And if you don't have lots of money, well, then clearly you don't have enough faith. And this is the world of TV evangelists and I've got pastors who have you know, shiny suits and their own private jet. It's that kind of end of the spectrum. And I look at that and I think that is not what I read in the Bible. And I don't feel comfortable with that. That's on one end of the spectrum. Meanwhile, though, there's a whole bunch of Christians at the other end of the spectrum where they would sort of promote the idea that poverty is next to godliness, which is nowhere in the Bible. And for them, it's all about doing life as cheaply as humanly possible. Um, I went to a Christian retreat center um, one time, and uh, I've got to say to you that they had this philosophy. That's what I picked up, and the experience was not fun. Um, The sheets were like the cheapest nylon sheets you could get. The coffee, which is an important thing to me, was the instant economy coffee, which is, you know, sacrilege, really. And and then I remember what mealtime, they they brought out um, chicken for dinner. They brought this chicken out. And honestly, I I promise you, I'm sure this chicken died of natural causes. It's just, it's like clearly what happened. It got reached so old, such an old age, it just sort of keeled over and died. And they thought, all right, we'll eat that now. That's, That's what it was like. The whole experience was not pleasant and it was not fun. On this end of the spectrum, it is possible to have nice things, but you're meant to feel guilty about them all the time. Yeah, that's how that works. And so I look at that end of the spectrum, and I don't like that. I look at that end of the spectrum, I don't like that either. So what's the answer? How on earth are we meant to think about money and handle money? Well, fortunately, Paul really helps us out in this passage. And I want to draw out just two simple ways of living that help us avoid both these ditches on either side and live in the radical middle. Um, So two things for us this morning so that we can leave a spiritual legacy. The first thing is this. It's very simply, 
is to recognize that everything comes from God, to recognize that everything comes from the Lord himself. Because, of course, the temptation is that we get things or we earn money and we think to ourselves, um, I did this. You know, I, I studied hard so I could get this good job and therefore I've earned this money. Or I've worked with my hands all my life. I've built up this company so I've got this money. To which I gently say to you, well, who gave you the ability to study hard anyway? Who gave you the intellect, the intelligence to do that? Wasn't that the Lord? And who gave you the strength in your limbs to work hard? Wasn't that God that gave you that? You see, in a moment, you're going to take another breath of air. At least, I hope you will. And when you do, this is what you're going to be breathing in. You're going to be breathing in a mixture of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and then some other trace gases and argon and so forth. It will be a particular cocktail that the Lord has blended together for you, and it will be just what you need. Any less oxygen, and you're in trouble. Any more oxygen, and that can cause medical problems as well. Genesis 2 verse 7 tells us that God breathed life into us. You see, recognizing that everything comes from God in the first place, it protects us from all kinds of wrong thinking. It stops us getting prideful and thinking, oh, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. The truth is, according to the Bible, is there's no such thing as a self-made man or self-made woman. God made you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And everything you have ultimately comes from him. And the second thing Paul says in this passage is that money is ultimately totally unreliable. You know, it comes and it goes and it slips through our fingers on many, many occasions. I remember um, taking the kids to one of these penny arcades by the beach on holiday one time. And uh, they've got this, this game where you put coppers in and it's got this, this, this sort of arm that moves out. And if you put the copper in at the right moment, the idea is that all the coppers fall into the little tub at the bottom. Anybody seen one of those, that sort of shoving thing? Um, I'm terrible with those things. I get addicted to that. And, and I think it's nearly there. It's nearly there. If I'm not careful, you know, I could easily come out three hours later and say, Emma, I'm really sorry we're going to need to remortgage the house. I've just spent far too much in there. It's so unreliable. It comes and it goes and it slips through our fingers. The truth is we're actually meant to remember that the law provides everything for us. If, if this helps you, maybe think of it like this. Think of your money like a box of Cornettos, which I've got here um, this morning. Uh, I've not done this illustration before, so we'll See how it goes. It involves ice cream, so I figure what could, what could possibly be wrong, be wrong with that. Uh, I know that we're not allowed drinks in here. I'm not sure about ice cream, so I figure it's, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So we've got them in here, all right? Think of your money like a box of Cornettos. So in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand this box of Cornettos to Sarah, who's hosting uh, for us this morning. And Sarah is rather pleased about this, as you can tell. Now, there are six Cornettos in this box. So here's the thing. They're, they're a gift to Sarah, and she can do whatever she wants with them because they'll be hers once I've given them to her. If she wants, she can sit there, and she can gorge on all six Cornettos if she like, and maybe then turn around and throw up on Steve's lap, whatever she wants to do. She can do that with, with them. Or alternatively, what she could do is she could take one of the Cornettos, enjoy that Cornetto, savour it, and think, this was a free gift, I didn't deserve this, isn't this good? And that will be part of her enjoyment of it. 
But equally too, another aspect of her enjoyment of it might be to say, I'm going to share the other five Cornettos with other people. And that will be part of the fun of enjoying the gift that she's got. What she can't do is take these away and store them because it's warm in here and they will have melted. So these Cornettos, like your money, are just for now. They're just for this life. You cannot store it up, the Bible says. Instead, it's there for her to enjoy and share with those around her. Does that make sense? So let me, let me pass these out. So, now, Sarah did have a box of Cornettos in the first meeting, so she might be feeling pretty sick now. So you might want to pass those around. Here's, here's the Cornetto theology coming up on the screen here for you. And I think this is what Paul's driving at in 1 Timothy 6. It's this, your money is like a box of Cornettos. It's a gift that you can't take with you, which is given for you to enjoy. And part of that enjoyment is savoring what God's given to you, and part of it is sharing with others around. Parents, grandparents will know that when you, when you get to my kind of age, what really is most enjoyable at Christmas time is not when somebody gives you another pair of socks, but actually when you get to watch your kids or your grandkids or your nieces and nephews open the presents that you have given them. That is actually where the most satisfaction lies. It's in sharing what God has given to you. And sometimes in this life, you'll have a box of 20 Cornettos, and sometimes in this life you'll have none, and you'll need somebody else to give you one of their Cornettos. Because after all, the Lord's Prayer doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread, does it? What does it say? It says, give us this day our daily bread. And some of what God has given to you isn't just for you, it's for you to share. And some of what God has given other people is for them to share with you. We're meant to be on this journey together. So in that way, you can enjoy every Cornetto that God gives you. You don't have to feel guilty or bad about it or live on the minimum and just think, oh, well, I'll just have a lick and put the rest in the box. No, you can enjoy what God has blessed you with. Everything comes from the Lord. That's our first point. The second point is this. I didn't know if you noticed, but in verse 17, Paul says this, teach those who are rich in this world. The implication being there, this world isn't it. That's not the whole story. In verse 19 then, he actively encourages us to store up treasure. Did you notice that? It's the same in Luke 12. We read Jesus. He says, store up Treasure for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust do not come and destroy. The Bible says to you, I really want you to accumulate wealth. God wants you to be seriously wealthy. The Bible actually teaches you to store up wealth. The question is, where are you going to store it up? That's the issue. Let me try and illustrate this for a moment. I've got here my two lovely assistants, Steve and Phil. And um, what I've got here for you is, um, is a timeline with this bit of string, if they can manage to pull it out. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. These guys have been in training. Uh, some of you might be thinking, oh, finally, this is what we've needed, an eldership tug of war. But actually, what this is, this is a timeline. And the idea is that this is from eternity past to eternity future in front of us here. And uh, to give you a bit of orientation, so what we've got here is um, these balloons, and they represent the creation of the world, and then the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in Revelation. And just to help you sort of have a rough guide in terms of the timeline, um, let me sort of lay this out for you. So this, I guess, would be the period of the dinosaurs, let's say. Uh, a bit further along, that's the Roman Empire. Uh, this here, this would be the Middle Ages. 
Um, this point just after that, this point just here, uh, that's when they began the roadworks just outside the hospital. So, um, it's like 800 years ago, something like that, I think. So, just saying. Um, and this period here, this, this chunk of time here, uh, this is how long you'll be left on hold if you phone British Gas customer services. So, Middle Ages, British Gas. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just mark on this timeline across the span of eternity, I'd like to mark out your life here on planet Earth. So I want to get this right. It's very scientific, as you can tell. So I'm going to mark with a biro. This is the start of your life on planet Earth. Okay, I'm going to mark it just here. That's it, just there. And now what I'd like to do is I'd like to mark out the moment that you die, so the end of your life here on planet Earth. And that is just, that is just there. I hope you found that helpful. Um, that's like 70, 80, 90 years, something like that. I've got some good news and some bad news for you at this point, all right? Um, the good news is that that's not the end of the story. That if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't just end here. Because otherwise, that's, that's why death feels so wrong. It, if you've lost a loved one ever, you'll know you feel, that, feel robbed, you feel cheated, because we're meant to live for eternity. So the good news is the promise that we read about in John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, that God gave his one and only son, that those who believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. So the good news is that you are built for eternity, to have an eternal relationship with a loving heavenly father. That is the good news. That is what the Bible is all about. It's not just about this biromark in eternity. It's about all of it. Loving relationship with an infinitely loving God, discovering more of who he is and who he's made you to be forever. That's the good news. The bad news? The bad news is you are going to outlive your money by quite some margin because your money only lasts for the biro mark, but you're going to live for all of that. Now, whilst it's important to have financial planning and pension plans and everything, that would suggest to me that you don't just need a pension plan you need a post-pension plan because your life is going to continue way beyond this biromark. So our lives are not just about what happens here, but they're about what happens for all of eternity. That's why the Bible says, don't just think about this life. Think about storing up things for eternity because that's where you're going to live the vast majority of your life. That's why just hoarding all your cornettos for this life is too small a thing. You and I were built for so much more. You and I were built to leave a spiritual legacy, not just to get by. And that's what the Apostle Paul's driving at. Could we thank my lovely, beautiful assistants here? Are you beginning to see you and I are eternal? And this life here on planet Earth will go in just the blink of an eye, that we were made for bigger things, that we were made to use money in order to love people, not use people in order to love money. So I want to suggest to you this morning that, that our money is a deeply spiritual thing. And so giving our money is a way of actually sowing into eternity. I would suggest you the, the place to start is actually giving a tenth. That's what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. In fact, in Malachi 3, it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me because I can outgive you. And I, I want to stand here and, and testify to the fact that, that God is as good as his word. 
Um, I, I, I tithe, I've tithed my money, given a tenth, even when I had like Saturday jobs, and I've done that all of my adult life. And 30 years in, he hasn't let me down. I wouldn't pretend it's always been easy. I remember particularly when Emma and I first uh, got married, we were buying a house and there were lots of sort of one-off costs and we decided though, no, we're still, the tenth is the first money that goes out. But then once other bills had been paid then that month, we realized that we didn't actually have at that time enough money to, to buy food. So what we did is we'd been given a whole load of wedding presents from Marks and Spencers. Uh, sorry if you were one of the people that gave them to us, but <laughs> we actually went and traded them in for nice Marks and Spencers food. So we, we took we had some crystal glasses that weren't that pleasant, that weren't that nice. So we traded them in, and I think we had beef bourguignon with them. So it worked out really well. There's never been a time when we've had to go hungry. God has always provided. And 30 years in, we live in a house that's above my pay grade, and we've had holidays that we could have only ever dreamt of. Why? Because you cannot outgive God. You know, so many people in this world want to focus on investing their resources in, the, in what's going on here and now. Um, but the Bible says that money is uncertain. Uh, one of the, the supposedly good bets at the moment um, is Tesla, who make the electric cars, and uh, I'm interested in follow what that's going on with them. I've got up on the screen there the Tesla share price over the recent, recent months, which is sort of skyrocketing. And on the face of it, it looks like a, a really good bet. But my question is, where will that share price be in five years' time or 10 years' time or 50 years' time. You see, ultimately, the smart place to put your money isn't in cars or collectibles or gold or jewelry. No, the smart place to put your money is where the increase will know no end. Where's that? As the Bible says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's the smart place to put your money. Um, behind me, I've got a, a photo of... St. Mary's Church in, in Camberley, and um, over 50 years ago, the fa church family there grew to the size that they couldn't fit into the small chapel, so they put on this big extension that you can see in front of you there in the foreground, and they raised some money um, in order to do that. And then in 1981, um, my parents employed a Christian member of staff in the shop that they were in, and this woman just radiated life, and it got them curious about the Christian faith. And so we trawled around a number of churches, but ended up in St. Mary's. And so it was in that building that I first heard that it's possible to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to have all the sin and the stain of your life forgiven, and have a new life. And the vicar at the end of the meeting then said, if you, just, if you want to respond to Jesus, just bow your head, close your eyes, and say this prayer with me. And so I did. Uh, and he did that every week. So I said that every week for the, like, the next six months. I hadn't really got my theology right around once saved, always saved yet. But that was the building where I encountered God. But the point is, the story doesn't end there. Around the same time, my parents became Christians, and then my brother, and then my grandparents, which is where things really accelerated, because my nanny Wyatt, whilst not a perfect lady by any means, was a prayer and one by one, she reeled in the members of my family. My aunts became Christians, and then some of my cousins. And my last count was 19 people in my family, my extended family, came to know Jesus. And it all started in an extension to a building in Camberley, 
where we went and sat in a room that had been built with money that we hadn't contributed to. And I sat on a chair that somebody else paid for in a room that somebody else paid the heating bill for. I don't know who the people were who did that building extension. My guess is that they've all now gone to be with Jesus. But I tell you, they were smart investors. Because the cascading effect is that 19 people and counting are going to spend their eternity with Jesus. And they got to play a part in that. That's how Paul saw his investment. He said that people were his riches. Look at the way he describes the Thessalonians and the Philippians. He says this, after all, what gives us hope and joy? Look at the language here. And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It's you. People are his crown and his reward. He says this, therefore, to the Philippians, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. You know, ultimately, our wealth is not measured by what's in our bank, but our wealth is measured by the lives that we touch. People are always more valuable than, than things and cash. That's why, in a moment, when we have the baskets down the front here, I would actually encourage you not to give anything. Uh, I'm not going to give anything. Now, now, before they cut the feed to the radio mic, let me explain what I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to give anything, but I am going to invest something. And the two are very different. When you give, it's just gone and out of sight, out of mind. When you invest, you're looking for a return on your investment. So that means I'm investing this morning. And so when that first person turns up at the university who's from an unchurched background and this is all new to them and discovers that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus and that he died for them and that their life can be turned around and they give their lives to him. I tell you, I'm going to go nuts. Yeah. Why? Because I had, a, I had a part to play in that. Yeah. I got to invest in that. Or when I hear about the first person here after March the 8th who gives their life over to Jesus, I'm going to go crazy. Why? Well, because going to the university has meant that I've made space for them to come here. You know, maybe, and this is just my thoughts, maybe one of the greatest joys in heaven will actually be when we get to meet the people whose lives our money reached. You know, maybe one of the greatest joys for the people that gave to St. Mary's in Camberley, one of the greatest joys will be the day I wander up and hug them in heaven and say, thank you, because your money left a spiritual legacy in my life and the lives of my family. You didn't have that expensive holiday and you delayed the cost of your kitchen extension. But your small sacrifice has made a difference to my eternity. Maybe that will be the kind of joy that lasts forever. Maybe one of the sweetest joys in heaven will be to worship alongside someone who you were able to help financially and know that that matters forever. So what are we saying this morning? We're saying that everything good comes from God. That they're all, all his cornettos and he shares them liberally with us and you should be able to enjoy them as much as you want. 
But equally, we're saying that you were born for more than just getting by in this life. You were born to make a difference in this world and the next. That your ticket to heaven is booked. The only question is how many people will you take with you? And we get to use our money, which is just stuff anyway, to make a difference to people's lives forever. We're going to have the baskets down the front here um, in a moment, but there's absolutely no pressure. There never is with our offerings here at the King's Arms. You can give or not give. You can put in an empty envelope if you like or write on there the recipe to your grandmother's apple crumble. I don't mind. But the point is realizing that you were born for just more than the here and now that you were born to have a relationship with Jesus that's marked and characterized by faith, and that we get to invest, we've got the opportunity to invest and make a difference to the lives of the people around us, this town and the towns around us. That's what we're going to be doing. That's what we're about here together as a church. Why don't I pray for us? Do you want to stand with me? And I'm going to respond to Jesus. I'm going to mute the radio mic for one moment whilst I blow my nose. If you'll forgive me for a moment, I I just want to say we're going to have the baskets down the front here, but I'd encourage you to give, but please don't make an emotional response. I realize I've got emotion up here because talking about my extended family going to heaven kind of makes me emotional but I'm not wanting to elicit an emotional response from you. Instead, I want you to make a faith response. What's God placed in your heart? What is it it that he's telling you to do? Be obedient to him. Don't just respond to emotion, but respond in faith. And recognize this is an opportunity not just to throw some loose change in, but to actually invest in whatever God's doing. Whether it's a small amount or a big amount, doesn't matter. Let me just pray. God, we want to thank you that everything comes from you, even our very next breath and that you give us things to enjoy, not to feel guilty about. Father, we pray that we would enjoy every, every cornetta you give us and that we would share liberally around us. Let us be the most generous people around. Let us be light and fun in our generosity. Make us joyful givers, we pray. But Father, we thank you for this opportunity to invest in what you're doing in this town and beyond, Lord God. Pray, Father, that you would take our gifts, you would multiply it and bless it, that nothing would stand in the way of your kingdom and that we would have been smart investors of our time, our energies and our money, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, be honoured through it all, we pray. Amen.